What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mongols Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scars. I'm Mike. With me is Kevin Josh. Joining us this week is John Morrissey, founder of USL Tactics on Twitter. We're going to get John's thoughts on the state of the USL, who his early favorites are heading into 2021, and more. Let's go! Everything was just falling into place. Bunky Azil cuts inside. With this one, Malardi oh. so terrific on the Steven Dos Santos from James and Mertz. Yes! yes. Oh, John, thanks for joining us, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. Really happy to be here. So we we mentioned this a little bit last week, how we were like, who is this USL Tactics guy? He is dropping tons of knowledge on everybody. Tell us a little bit about yourself just to get started here. Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in Indianapolis and was in the city at the time the 11 were getting started up a little bit. And I'd gotten into the sport. I never really played it growing up, but I got into it with World Cup 2010. Um, and I became a Tottenham fan shortly after that, which I know you can say is like Tottenham and Arsenal with a lot of American people. But um, really the passion got going with Indy 11. And I've been huge into minor league soccer ever since. There's just something about the whole fan base, fan centric sense that you get from it that I've really fallen in love with. And so going off of that, I'm no longer in Indianapolis. Um, I'm a student actually at New York University, but with the pandemic, I've been in Phoenix. So kind of all over the map, but yeah, yeah that's sort of my story. So is, is Indy still your USL team? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you didn't. You I tried to stay as neutral as possible, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's I'm, yeah, makes sense. I wasn't sure if you jumped over to Phoenix. How long have you been in Phoenix? Um, on and off for about two, two and a half years. Okay. So have you had but an opportunity since the pandemic? I mean, have you had an opportunity to check out any Phoenix Phoenix Rising games? Uh, just a handful, but yeah, nice. and they've been super fun. I prefer nice. the old uh, atmosphere at the mic in Indy, but. Nice. Yeah. So like, is that what, like, I found myself, I got into podcasts because I want to get more into uh, USL. So I figured this would be a good way to kind of like keep myself more active in the, like keeping abreast of everything that's going on. Is that why you started USL tactics or have you always just been really into tactics and you were going to do something with it no matter what? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of that, what you had mentioned for sure, but also some of it is just like a passion project for me where there's a lot of the statistical kind of video editing side to it where I'm not doing it at like a high level, but there's skills that I enjoy just flexing a little bit and trying to get better at. And so from that side of things, I get to do some rewarding work. And then there's the tactic stuff where I love, I don't know, like if anyone's familiar with the blogs like Spielfeldlagerung or whatever the German tactics site is that they cover European games and you get it with um, Matt Doyle and the armchair analyst stuff over on the MLS side that I've just been enthralled with since I got into the sport and I've really found it to be interesting. So trying to provide something like that with USL where I'm passionate about it and I can sort of grow my interest was really something that drew me in. So like I have, I have a hard enough time keeping up with the hounds. I also have a, a MLS team and a, and Everton's my EPL team. Like you seem to follow the whole league a lot more than at least I do. Like, is that hard to follow that? And do you only follow USL then, or do you kind of like find yourself watching all the different leagues? 
I'm mostly USL exclusive, but I'll catch as many Tottenham games as I can and the occasional other Premier League match, but very little else outside of that. It's definitely a time commitment on the USL front. Um, on a given weekend, I'll make sure to watch the 11 game and then whatever else is catching my interest in terms of a matchup, I'll definitely go for. Um, that sums out to just a handful of games on a weekend. But if like I see something that's happened elsewhere across the league that I didn't catch, I'll uh, use the SPN Plus on the replay and hit up things that seem like they were interesting, try to do a post on the account, that sort of thing. You mentioned that like you didn't think you were doing it at a high level. You're doing stuff at a pretty high level here, man. Give yourself <laughs> some credit. I, I think the USL is interesting, and, and maybe this is lower league soccer, I don't want to say around the world, but what we've sort of seen in the USL is that by them not providing sort of that high level, there's sort of this space that everybody can sort of move into. I mean, we've sort of moved into a space because there wasn't a lot of coverage of the hounds and there are other, you know, shows and that and writers across BGN that all have sort of just stepped in that space because you are doing it at such a high level. Has anybody from the league like reached out to you? Have you heard anything from them or is it just sort of like, you're just doing your thing and you know, people follow you and that's it. Yeah, definitely the latter. I've not heard a peep out of the league. And honestly, at first I was a little scared, just like ripping things straight off of uh, ESPN plus video wise, or um, using some of the data that they provide, like maybe they'd step in and say, Hey, cut this out. But I definitely see what you're saying with um, the sort of gap there is with the coverage where to go back to the MLS example, they've got a fully fledged news outlet. When you go to that website, versus very very little i mean there's guys like nicholas murray who do the same thing with usl and he does a fantastic job and um yeah but i've not really heard anything uh from the central organization devin kerr follows me follows me on twitter but that's the extent of it <laughs> would you would i mean I don't want to say, I think a lot of people get into podcasting thinking like, oh, this would be an amazing full-time job. Would you, is this something that you would like to do as a full-time job if given the opportunity? Yeah, I've thought about that. It would certainly be fun, but I don't know if it's something that I could commit to just on the full-time basis. It's certainly like if they said, hey, want to come write a weekly column or whatever, or contribute to what we're doing data or video wise, I would for sure be interested, but like envisioning it as the line of work right. seems like such a step up from yeah, yeah. the sort of hobbyist level that I'm at right now. Well, if you don't mind, let's get nerdy just for a second. Um, I, I'm, I mean, I, I do like some data analytics for my job or whatever. Uh, but so like you, you already mentioned a bit of like your sources, but like where do you get data from? Like for like USL stuff where you can actually do some kind of analysis and present some kind of, you know, end result and figures and, and stuff that you can talk about. Like wh where is that pool of data that you get? So two sources on that. One would be football reference, which um, I don't know if you're familiar with like baseball reference or basketball reference. They have just the full collection of stats for pretty much any sport or league that you would have interest in. And they're fantastic. They provide some of the data that I use. And then I can um, have Excel just take that for me, press refresh, and it'll update. That's not everything I use though, because it's a fairly incomplete set of data. And so in partnership with Opta, um, USL mm. collects some stats as well. But the way that it is set up on their website and given my very limited technical skills, 
it's sort of like I have to copy paste just straight over from the team stat pages, which is a fairly laborious process. Yeah. So like during the off during the off season when I've got the full set, fantastic. During the year when it's gonna go every four or five weeks before I can kind of get the impetus to uh, copy paste the data over, it's a little bit of a slower grind for me. L- laborious yes but my god that's committed like that's that's really <laughs> yeah. impressive that's and really cool um and i guess also like so how do you what is your kind of process from from start to finish do you kind of like do the whole kind of general like black box data mining thing where you just let's say all right i'm gonna get everything I can and let's do some basic stuff and oh look this little interesting trend popped out let's talk about that or do you maybe start with um I want to look at this team right now I want to look at this type of thing and then kind of build what you want to talk about from that um if that makes sense yeah the data definitely follows the questions for me um in my creative process with it where like I'll see a signing that a team has made or I'll just be thinking hey, San Antonio had an interesting year. Like, what's the deal with that? And then I'll pick out, because I have the setup where I can plug in a name and it'll pull up the radar, or I can just go and look at the set of statistics that I collected on a given team for the season. And so I'll start out with some sort of idea, inkling, question, and go off of that. So just to like exemplify this week, Tulsa um, signed Jerome Kieswetter. And where I've heard a lot about him, I know a lot of the hype, but I'm not going to claim like I'm an expert on every facet of his game. So I start out with the data just as the reference point for his conversion rate is here compared to the rest of the league. This is maybe what he's doing assist wise. And then just try to seek out like the video aspects where I can supplement the basic data elements I'm getting with something a little bit further on. And with that, I had the really good insight where in all of the highlight videos you see of him, he's sitting on the shoulder of the last defender making these really smart runs. Well, they've got Lebo Meloto in the midfield there who can play ping a through ball like nobody's business. And so I think, like I pinpointed, I pointed out on Twitter that I think that's going to be a really good combination for them. So that's like just the typical process for me. Right. And I, and I know you're much more involved in these kind of conversation circles on the internet than... I certainly am probably the two of the three of us are. Um, but I know there's kind of like a, I don't want to call it a split just because I'm, I'm not active in those, in those communities, but it seems like, especially with the kind of current evolution of like data analytics and all of sport, uh, but uh, especially in soccer, you kind of get these, I don't want to call them like older ideas because they're still prevalent. It's not just like an old hire, but of like, oh, you can't, you know, there's no number that measures passion and just like, you know, <laughs> wanting the ball more than the other player. And there's kind of, that kind of clashes with this whole like XG and and like statistics of, oh, well, this team, they're playing really well and they're going to continue to play well and just wait, just wait. You know, we have the data on it. Where do you kind of fall on that? Is it like, not that you have to, because I imagine it's a spectrum, but I, I guess what are you, what's your conversation around that? Because I know just from the outside looking in, that's kind of like a discussion that, that happens in those circles. Yeah, if I'm picking a side, it's got to be the data element of it for me, just because across the whole sporting spectrum, you've seen how that's been borne out in terms of on the field success and the predictive value of it. 
but that's predicated on the sort of tactical, more touchy-feely sense of things where all of the tactical things that happen define what ends up showing up in that data. Right. So I kind of don't like the whole binary discussion that tends to crop up when you get into this issue yeah. because there's such interrelated things. And if you reject one side of it, you're missing such a key part of the bigger story. Love it. Love that answer. Speaking. So, you know, obviously we, you know, you touched on the fact you sort of cover all of the different teams stepping away. From, I don't even want to say stepping away from the data for a minute, but one of the things that we try to get a sense of, you know, whenever we talk to fans of various teams is just sort of your sense of the state of the USL. And obviously you're coming in, you know, during uh, the pandemic where last year was sort of crazy this year, who knows what's going to happen. Just give us your, your overall impression of, you know, the USL, whether or not you think it's headed in the right direction, what's going on with league one, just what's your general sense of the league. Overall, I'm pretty bullish about things like, it's been a tough off season in a lot of ways with St. Louis out the door, Reno really surprisingly dropping out, um, North Carolina going down division really recently. But if you just look at the broader trend of the strength of a lot of these clubs locally and the way that they've ingrained themselves within their communities, I think that's invaluable. And I think it really shows how the league can uh, be successful going forward. And so when you have that strong base, there's always going to be something that I can take hope in. And you mentioned League One, and I think that really is a fantastic setup, not only from the community building the culture of soccer in this country standpoint, but in that player development pipeline. There've been a couple signings this off season where a USL side has, or a championship side rather, has brought in League One guys. And I think that's fantastic for the future of the sport in this country, just in terms of setting up that pipeline where you can, yeah, you can be an MLS draft pick or someone who goes over to Europe in the academy level and has great success, or you can be someone who sort of finds their way up through the USL ladder and gets to a point where you can make a living of that. And that's just paramount to the growth. But overall, I think I'm, impressed with where USL is at, especially from that indie perspective coming from the mess that was the old NASL, or rather the new NASL, I guess, where things were so disorganized and decentralized, and you have this much greater sense of stability, growth, and planning. So, yeah. I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you talked a lot about sort of the pipeline in the youth and sort of growing the game nationwide. What is your take on two teams like MLS two teams in the USL. I mean, obviously you're an indie fan, so you don't really have to deal with that. I mean, we're, we've made how we feel about them known. Um, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts? There's the heart side of me that sees an empty stadium in Harrison, New Jersey, or has to play against an SKC to, SKC two side where no one really cares and just hates that. But if you're thinking about it from the growth of soccer in the country angle, they really are an important thing. Would I be happy to see a lot of them drop down to League One and kind of get off my schedule? Possibly. But <laughs> I, I think that there is a lot of value to them as a concept. And I think they were so key in stabilizing the league in the first place when they really went on that growth binge. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. 
Um, I, I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, us being sort of a, a Pittsburgh based podcast, we're obviously very focused on the hounds and we're very focused on the Eastern conference because really there's one game a year where we have a shot of potentially playing somebody from the West and, and all our years of recording that hasn't happened for us. So you obviously follow Indy live in Phoenix off and on. Um, there's, there seems to be every year there's this battle of like, who's better East or West. Do you have a sense, you know, from looking at the data, from just what you've seen over the past few years, is there one side that you think is better than the other, either tactically or talent or whatever it may be? What's, what's your read on the whole East first West thing? Yeah. So when I really started to follow the league in earnest, I was sort of taken aback by this whole East West discourse, just because I don't find it to be that perceivable in the data and from what I'm seeing on the pitch. So you, there are certainly some differences. I think, I think the West tends to be a little bit more press happy, tends to be maybe slightly more technical at the top levels, but you're really grasping at straws if you're trying to make any sort of wide ranging critique of either conference and saying, oh, the East is worse for X reason or Y reason. They're just so similar and they play at such a similar level of competition that to read anything into it is a little bit asinine to me. So like looking at all the teams, I know it's still early in the season, but is there a particular team that you think looks like they might have the leg up next season at this point? Um, In terms of just quality, like really title contending teams, I think Phoenix and Tampa who would have been the championship game, uh, both, I mean, brought back the same cores that got them there, made a couple of minor swaps around the edges. They'll be in contention for me. Um, in terms of people on the come up a little bit, Birmingham and Miami have really impressed me out East. Uh, Birmingham obviously made the headlines this week with the Fleming, Junior Fleming signing out of Phoenix and the controversy around that. But um, they added Fanuel Cavita from St. Louis, who for me was an all-league defender last season. He was spectacular. And then Ryan James, who uh, you guys would know a little bit better. And I think he's fantastic. We do too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very sad to see him go. So what about the flip side of that? Is there a team that you're looking at right now? You're like, man, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. There's a handful of teams that just haven't signed anybody. And that's very concerning. So Memphis and Vegas stick out on that front. Memphis was very bad last season. They were very disorganized. Their tactics fluttered all about. Tim Howard was bafflingly bad from the start. And they currently have two players on the roster right now. So you have a lot of question marks down there. And then ditto for Vegas, where they were a bottom third performer last season. A lot of the headlines get drawn away when you look at them just because of all of the antics that go on with the llamas, Wynalda, et cetera and they've currently got one player. So you look at those two and think, what are you doing in terms of roster construction? And then I'm actually concerned um, in terms of a decent team that the Indy 11 are really in for a down year. They don't have a midfield at this point in terms of signing new or uh, bringing back old players. Tyler Pasher just left for Houston. They brought in a couple of defenders, but the defense was already fairly deep as is. And there's been a lot of criticism of Martin Rennie and his tactics or lack thereof. So just the amalgam of all those factors has me concerned that this will be an average year for Indy in terms of regressing even further. 
I was going to finish up with a question about like, yeah, just like another question um, of what teams you think are going to do well, but I think you, you laid out the table pretty, pretty well there. So I'll pivot. And I don't know. I, you can say like, I haven't looked at this that much and that's completely fine. Um, I know like the discussion that we are particularly kind of close to about like, whether or not the USL has passed Bob Lilly up and like if he just doesn't have the tactics to hack it anymore. Um, I imagine that at least from a analytical side, you can kind of track the progress of, of Bob Lilly's success or lack thereof um, over, over his career. But um, is there anything that kind of pops out at you with, I guess, let's say Pittsburgh in general? I know you did that great tweet thread, um, what, a, a week ago or so. And I'm sure you're still doing stuff, you know, regularly. But I guess, do you have any thoughts on like Lily and his, I don't know, has has the USL passed him by? I'm actually a huge Lily fan, if we're being honest. I think that he, compared to a lot of the managers in this league, shows a surprising amount of flexibility in what he's doing. And I think more so than a lot of people, he's able to instill a baseline level of success in players where you're always going to get a good defensive team with Lily, no matter what. And everything else can be a question mark to my, in my estimation, but there's this baseline level of success that he brings with. So like last season, Pittsburgh had tended to play the three at the back, didn't really press that high, but you saw a little bit of the counter pressing sort of style and they led the league in um, shots against per defensive action, which means that when teams broke against the press, the defense was better than anybody else at cleaning things up, making a block or a clearance and making sure that there wasn't going to be a shot that was going to test anybody. And so that sort of thing is paramount to a successful team. And Lily does that no matter what, but I think there is a level of tactical flexibility that he doesn't necessarily get credit for. And I'm drawn back to um, the Louisville match right at the restart where the first half an hour of the game or so, Louisville maybe had on the front foot, fairly evenly matched. All of a sudden, the Riverhounds start pressing like nobody's business. Louisville can't play out the back three goals like that right around halftime. And that's the sort of thing where I look at that, and if I'm a Pittsburgh fan, I'm taking heart and thinking, yeah, there's a lot of things you can criticize Bob Lilly for, but he's still got it at this point in time. And he can have his favorite players. He can have his somewhat criticizable system, but there's something there. I'm going to put you on the spot. We're going to get you out of here, but one last question, at least for me. Um, who's going to finish higher this year, Pittsburgh or Indy? Boy, I got to say Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> They're say, you just mentioned, a more talented team. You mentioned that, you know, Indy hasn't really brought a lot of people back. Pittsburgh hasn't really brought a lot of people back either. We're still sort of looking at our lineup going, what's going to happen here? You know, where are the players? Especially, you know, you mentioned Miami. They just signed uh, Francois today. Mm -hmm. You mentioned everybody that's getting signed in Birmingham. It's just all these other teams can be off to the races signing players. And both of us are sitting here like, what what about us, guys? Come on. Was that a thing that Indy did last year? Like waited on signings? Not to my memory. Like, I feel like they were fairly proactive about bringing guys in. And I know Pittsburgh is lagging behind a little bit, but I just trust, I don't know. I trust Lily and I trust the core guys that they brought in a little bit more. 
just because you're seeing at a couple levels within the team, like where you've got a handful of forwards, you've got a handful of midfielders. There's, I mean, Jordan Dover sort of flits between the midfield and defensive lines, but there's at least the bones of something, whereas Indy is really barren. There's two forwards, a youth midfielder who's actually in the MLS draft pool right now, so he'll be out the door, and then like seven defenders. And that's just not the baseline for a team that's <laughs> going to end up being good at this point. But we'll see what gives, but I would put pretty good money on Pittsburgh to be the better team this year. Well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm glad to hear that. Um, not for your sake, unfortunately. Um <laughs> John, this is. I know we we invite him on the podcast. We have him tell us all this information, and then you just end on that sour note. Look, it's a long off season. A lot can change. I don't. I don't. You know. I I foresee Indy being up there as you know one of the top teams along with Pittsburgh. It just seems like that's just sort of been in our DNA for the past few years. And as much as you have teams like Birmingham or Miami that want to come in and make a splash, we've seen where that hasn't necessarily been the case where you try to throw a bunch of players together and it just doesn't work so yeah miami last season exactly so like who knows what's going to happen um you know we we indy is sort of the team that i think a lot of us have started to love to hate so i don't know if you guys feel the same way about (laughs) pittsburgh but we're happy that you're in the league because it it provides that sort of i don't even want to call it a rivalry but like we used to yeah, we used to be we used to be rivals with Harrisburg, and then they went away. And then we were we were quasi rivals with Philly, and then they went away. So like we're looking for somebody, and Indy's sticking <laughs> around. It feels like so, yeah. Um, but John, this this has been fantastic. Um, first of all, thank you for all of the work that you put in because clearly, like we said, you were filling a void that no one else has stepped in to fill. So the the stuff that you provide is fantastic. Um, everybody, you know, you have to make sure you go check them out at USL tactics on Twitter. John, are you anywhere else that, uh, that you want people to go check out your stuff? No, just the, yeah. At USL tactics, Twitter account is where I'm at. I try to post as much as possible. It varies a little bit, but it tends to be maybe a post a day. So check it out. I feel like I do decent work. So yeah, definitely do decent work. I would say you do far above decent work. You're not giving yourself enough credit, but, uh, John, thanks again, man, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Lovely to have a chance to talk. So that was fun. Huge. Thanks to, to John for stopping by in, in, in all seriousness, if you don't follow him on Twitter, go follow him on Twitter because, uh, like we said, we, we shared the thread after last week's show, but the, the level of detail um, Kev, I could almost see your eyes pop out of your head when he said he goes to like each team page to mine data. I was like, what, what you do? What? Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I have some, some tangential experience with that with other stuff in my job. And it's a, the biggest nightmare that you could hope for if you want to try to like industrialize the process of getting it. And it's that, yeah, that's, it's impressive. I mean, we use the team, team websites, or not the team, I mean the USL website for like just pulling up for a game and we see mm-hmm. how long it takes to load, how crappy it is sometimes, and it just doesn't load all the pieces in. Having to go to each and every page and do that sounds like a nightmare. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. more power to that's him. Yeah, That's dedication. Well, and a lot of the stuff too, like if you go to, this is like inside baseball type stuff, but if you go to try to mine some data from the USL site on a particular player, like, you know, how many passes do they have per game? You can't get that. You have to actually go into each game 
and pull out the individual data from the game. There's no collective place to get that. And it's just, yeah, it would be great if, you know, somebody could just like throw a switch and all that data is available. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So thankfully, John's there to, to do that. And we know that we know a couple of other guys that that like doing the data stuff as well. But uh, he's been sort of the most um, visual that's like out there sharing all of this. So again, make sure you go follow him. Um, guys, one other bit of, uh, well, we I, I, I can't even remember now if we mentioned it when we were talking to him or not. Um, Francois has officially landed in Miami. So the cheetah will be back on the East coast. So that'll be something to watch out for. Uh, John did mention that he thought that Birmingham and Miami were sort of two teams. It's going to be very interesting to sort of see how the East shakes out. Cause I think we've sort of taken for granted that it's like, ah, it's going to be Louisville and Pittsburgh and Tampa and Indy. And that's going to be the top four. But I really think that when you look at some of these other teams that are making a push, Birmingham and Miami are going to be there. So um, we'll see. But the other news that sort of just came out of nowhere today, uh, I don't think anyone was really ready for it. Danny Rivera re-signed with the Hounds, which um, I think it's great news. I think when we were when we were talking, as soon as the offseason was over, we were talking about what sort of players were we hoping to still be around. And I think, you know, while, um, while Danny wasn't as high on my list as somebody like a Robbie Mertz, I sort of put him in the same bucket as like a Robbie Mertz Danny Griffin um, as sort of this young talent that you could sort of see, you know, I think when he was brought back last season, there was some question as to like, okay, is this just sort of going to be a depth play? But then you saw Lily moving him around and playing him at times in almost a holding midfield position. Sometimes he was much further up the field. He felt more like a utility guy um, that, uh, you know, sort of like your typical Lily guy that he could just drop into any position. He sort of could do what he could do. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with this. Kev, how are you feeling about Rivera? Well, before I do that, can I ask a clarification question? Sure. Um, the people that were like part of that first batch of these are the people coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, were those people who we picked up the extra year on their contract or was it a mixture of that and a renegotiation of new contracts? I think for the most part, those were people that we picked up the option on their contract. So this was a case where almost nine times. That was my interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, the Hounds signed players for one year plus an option. Right. This past season was Danny's second year. So in theory, they picked up the option for him in 2020 and he was right. out of contract heading into 2021. So now they've re-signed him. So that was my only kind of question around it was why, with him being around the squad, you know, in the past two years, why did it take this long? Um, I, I mean, it's, and that's pretty much where that speculation ends. I mean, or, or I get that's pretty where that question ends, and then a whole you know swamp of speculation begins of is this further evidence that, you know, finances are managed in a particular way at the club? Is this an example where Danny wanted more money? Is this an example of, you know, I don't know. Um, but I, I guess I was surprised at the timing of it. I would have expected a player who's been around for two seasons already um, to have been announced earlier than, you know, January 18th. Um, do, do, do either of you feel like that too, or am I am I reading too much into this? 
No, I don't think so. But I, I also think it could be something pretty innocent. It could have been, you know, they did sign. He had the option to you know, pretty much shop himself around to see what right. options were out there for him. So he goes out, he sees what's available and kind of like mulls it over and sees what the hounds are willing to do. And from there decides if he's going to stay or not. Like uh, it could just be as simple as that. And I think that's, that's not a, you know, a negative on the hounds or him. It's just like, okay, well, yeah, see what, you know, what you can get out in the open market. And then right. you know, this is what we're willing to give you and judge it from there. So it, it seems pretty normal, you know, uh, off season type stuff. Uh, I was surprised though. Like, cause I kind of thought like, Nope, that's all the announcements for returning players. So yeah. it is good to know that there very well could be more announcements. Now I haven't like dived into it to see like what players are left who have not been announced in other teams. Right. Uh, that list is pretty small, so we'll see, but yeah, I'm happy to see him come back. I, I like him a lot. I think he's one of those players that you like to see us keep on developing and, and him grow here and kind of like us be able to get the fruits of that labor of getting him to be a better player and seeing him grow. No, I agree. Just finishing up my quick assessment on him. I, I remember there's a point where he, it almost feels blasphemous to say, but I felt like there was a moment where he was keeping Dover out of the team. I mean, granted, it was like a stretch of maybe two games or something. Um, but he has, he has a lot of potential. And he's played, I think last season, he made a big step forward from his, you know, from his previous season, which, you know, that's positive. It shows growth. He's getting better as a player. He's getting more comfortable in the system. No, I think he has a, he has a even higher ceiling to hit and, I think he's a great player to bring back. Yeah, I agree. And Josh, your point about, uh, you know, sort of talking about what other players, it just made me think what other hounds are out there that were on their second year that have the potential to come back and sign. And unfortunately, I'm trying to, I don't think there were that many. I think most of the, like most of the guys across the back in defense, that was their first year and we didn't pick up their option. I think, uh, you know, we didn't bring back Mensa. That would have been his optional year. Um, there's just, there's not a lot else there. So Danny might be the only one that we see come back. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, obviously it's January. There's still no official start date yet for the league. So we're thinking maybe May ish. Um, so we'll see what happens here. Um, no official news yet as to when Lily's going to be holding camp. I know there's been some rumblings, but it, it, that may be happening here at some point soon. The Hounds did announce uh, a pretty cool thing. We won't spend a ton of time talking about it, but um, just further evidence that uh, that they're investing in the youth game. I think it's four different tournaments that are going to be happening at Highmark and across the area with four different cup names and all of that, um, all to highlight different levels of youth uh, in the local area and, you know, bringing in from outside, there's going to be college showcases and things like that. So, um, regardless, it seems like the money for the hounds is likely in the youth system, which is just evident from all of the effort they put into it, the whole development complex. That's all of that. Um, which is great. That gets back to John's point of sort of putting your stamp on a local community and helping at a grassroots level. So kudos to the team for, for making that happen. I was going to say, is there any news on the like training, uh, Academy place developmental 
building thing? <laughs> no, I thought I saw Tuffy come. Tuffy name dropped it at some point. Um, it might have been in the press release for these cups, basically saying like that. You know, we have this thing that's going to be awesome that we can use in addition to all this other stuff. So, um, but otherwise, there hasn't been a lot of talk about like, hey, it's ninety five percent complete. I'm sure once we get closer to the season starting and, and once the front office is sort of in full swing, that might be one of the things that makes it out into the, uh, you know, the rounds of, of, uh, I was going to call it hype, but it's not even hype. It's like just good news. So. No, it looks pretty cool. And it, it's, it's one of those things where I don't feel like I fully appreciate it. And I know it's probably bigger than what I feel like. It's like, Oh, cool. A youth tournament, whatever. But like that, that can be a huge deal for the hounds. And also it, it kind of gets their name plastered everywhere for yeah. youth and that, and it's going all the way up to college. So like that could be a good brand, you know, widening thing for the, the pro team. Uh, if I'm looking at it just from the pro angle, it kind of makes them more of authority on uh, scouting ta- talent possibilities and that kind of stuff. So yeah, you'd love to see it. So cool. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's that's all we've got for this one. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, John, again, for for stopping by and joining us. Um, and uh, thank you uh, for, for listening. Head over to mongols.com. Click on support the show to become a Patreon follower. Typically, we do an after show, but uh, we got some feedback where people said they'd like to see a video version of this. So this week, we're actually going to post a video of us recording along with John. <clears throat> so for those of you who are like, hey, Mike, where is his like Mongols hat and his Riverhounds jacket every week? No, I did it just because we're recording. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I was going to say, no one cares to see that either, Mike. So. Nobody. I know. Well, apparently, <laughs> I know. apparently people do, but I, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I dressed up for the occasion. So, you know, if you want to see us dressed up, I guess, I don't know. Head over see to you dressed up. Yeah, I see mean, you dressed up. That's right. Go to mongols.com, click on support the show to become a Patreon follower, and you can check out the video. If it's something that, you know, you think we should put on YouTube at some point, let us know on social media. Um, you know how to get at us. Uh, weekly reminder, Black Lives Matter. Go get the Steel Army t-shirt. Love Pittsburgh. Hate racism. Black Lives Matter over at SteelArmy.com. Thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at RoughneckScarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. Looking for more great USL news? Head over to BGN.FM where we now got over 100 fans that are writing and podcasting about the beautiful game. Sounds like we might try to get John there as well, writing a weekly article. We shall see. Uh, lots of great features. Um, go check it out, BGN.FM. Otherwise, thanks everybody we'll talk to you very very soon cheers later